Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Welcome back to ADHD is over. Our guest today is Melissa Orthfrey. Melissa is a former world champion athlete who was inducted into the National Fitness Hall of Fame. She's an exercise engineer, a hanasomatic educator, and she was a six handicap golfer and has trained several of the touring PGA pros and world-class athletes, including several of the Cubs, the Bulls, the Bears, and the Blackhawks. But what's really cool is that Melissa has been working with our son, Kai, for about three months now on integrating his reflexes. And today's episode is going to be about what the hell does that mean to integrate someone's reflexes, right? My wife, uh, Tatiana, is joining me today and we're going to dive in and we're going to ask Melissa questions because not only have we seen some results with our son, but also have we gotten more educated on what that actually is. So I'd like to start with just reading something uh, that you had sent us, which I think is really cool. So I want you to just close your eyes for those listening because you have to kind of get your, wrap your brain around it. So imagine if every time you looked up, your arms would straighten and your legs would bend or if you looked down, your arms would bend and your legs would straighten automatically. Now, let me read that one more time because it's a little tricky. So imagine every time you look up, your arms would straighten and your legs would bend. Or if you look down, your arms would bend and your legs would straighten automatically. Now, I read this because it's a very simple thing to observe. And for you, it's kind of normal and you see it all the time. For us, it started when we showed you a clip of Kai playing the drums and he was about six years old, five or six. And right away you said like, oh, his legs are straight. So why don't we start there? What did you see? What do you do? And what have we been working on with Kai that's just, I think, so fascinating? Let's start there. Right. And welcome. And welcome, <laughs> Melissa. Thank Yay. you, Tatiana and Roman. This is wonderful to be here with you. Um, yeah, so as soon as I saw that clip and you were writing about ADHD and doing this movie, it was beautifully done because you captured something that we see all the time when we're doing reflex integration, which is the fact that when your symmetric tonic neck reflex... Um, we abbreviate that and call it STNR, is not integrated. Um, and is, not this, integrated. is this the main one, the, well, the big one? For ADHD, yes, it's, it's a very, very big one for ADHD. Um, and so, um, so when that's not matured, what happens is every time the child looks up, their arms straighten and their knees bend. And when they look down, their, their elbows bend and their knees straighten. And your son, your beautiful son, was sitting there playing the drums exactly in a slouched position with his legs straight 
so he could bend his arms, and um, and he was looking he, he was looking down. So mm. that's which way to play the drums. So that's which way he had to be. And mm. um, we see that a lot, and we see. It, and can you imagine if your child sitting at a desk, trying to focus? And they're uncomfortable. Their t- children are terribly uncomfortable because they have to slouch in order for them to sit. Is the slouching also by itself a, a giveaway? Let's say you couldn't see someone's feet or, or arms. Let's say you're looking into a classroom and you see kids slouch. Would that be in sort of an initial like, hmm, there might be something there? If it's- Absolutely. So we might see that with the symmetric tonic neck reflex not integrated. We also might see that with the asymmetric tonic neck reflex not integrated, which is meaning when you, uh, you're you moving one side of your body is bending, so you're, maybe your right arm and your right knee is bending, and your left arm and your left leg is straightening, and your head turns to the right, and then you have to cross midline, um, meaning if you're facing forward and you bring your head either right or back to center and then left, that crosses over midline. And children that don't have that integrated then work hard not to cross midline. So you'll see kids slouched with their head over to, if they're writing with their right hand, with their head over to the left so that they don't have to cross midline or to the right, whichever. Mm. They'll be on one side. And so can you imagine if they have to do everything on one side? Wow. Yeah, and this is part of what blew me away as you've been explaining this to me because this has been very new and it, there's been a learning curve as well and to, as a mother understanding, but the moment that I began to get that all these things as, as parents, we many times find frustration around from their posture to sitting still to not getting, being wiggly. And, and one thinks it might be behavioral. One may think that they're just not, that your communication is not getting through when in reality, it's many times from what I'm learning is their bodies just... They, 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 they can't, it's not within their ability to, to reach there. Absolutely. And that was huge for me to, to start understanding. So it, it, as a parent, it gives you another level of, of empathy and, and understanding of who, who your child is. Yeah. And instead of saying, look at me all the time because you're being disrespectful because you're not looking at me, maybe the child can't look at you and focus or think. The child can only think when they're looking away, maybe. And so we think they're being disrespectful. Or if they get up all the time and, and they sit slouched, we might say, sit up. Don't sit slouched. Well, if you try and change your posture, how long can you actively change your posture? For you know, about a few, few minutes, if you're really thinking about it. But as soon as you don't think about it, it's reflexive. It happens automatically that you shift into whatever posture you are holding. Fascinating. Now... I have to ask for parents, go back to the beginning. Why would a child's reflexes not be integrated? Or what happens, right? Uh, maybe it's during birth or pregnancy. Or what are the sort of factors that, that could cause the reflexes not to be integrated? Great question. Stress can do it. Trauma can do it. An injury um, actually during birth. Uh, well, actually, when you're when the mother's pregnant, a lot of times, the you'll look at women, and they might be contorted in a different way, like side bent a little bit, or p- 
pulling forward a different way. And your whole body's changing <laughs> dramatically when you're pregnant. Um, and so if you, if your muscles stay contracted and they don't, uh, and they can't relax, the baby is in a contracted weight. So it's, it could maybe be all the way to the left or way up high or way to the right. And it's very uncomfortable for the mother and the baby, not giving the baby enough space. So some of the work that we do with pregnant women is so beautiful. You can actually see because they're when they're very pregnant, you can literally see how they might come in and be side bent, one sh twisted, high, one shoulder higher, one hip higher, and with one session of Hanasomatics, we can really affect the contracted muscles and allow them to learn to to begin to relax the muscles at the level of the brain. So it's not stretching them, but it's actually letting them um, decontract their muscles. Mm. So, and just to get uh, uh, our listeners an idea, what is the difference, in a nutshell, right? Those are very, um, I don't want to say new, but they're, they're not so um, wildly used widely used terms yet, I believe, hanasomatic uh, yes. experiencing or... Um, uh, these these reflex integration therapies, right? So, what would you say is the major difference? What what is hanasomatic experiencing or uh, healing, and what is reflex integration, sort of in a nutshell description, if you will? Sure. So, hanasomatics education is literally that an education. It's um, a effective, efficient way of neuromuscular training, meaning brain body. The brain is in charge of whether the muscles contract or relax. So if we are trying, for example, to get in shape, if we only s stretch our muscles, for example, um, which a lot of people try and do to lengthen their muscles or to get decontracted, what happens when you stretch is that there's a stretch reflex that happens. So they recontract. Instead of turning down the resting level of the muscles. And you can do that via, like through a term called pandiculation, which is something that you see your cat and your dog do when they reach out and they stretch back. And it looks like they're taking a yawn and then they slowly relax. You can actually see birds do it. You can see all vertebrates doing it and mammals. It's, it's pretty amazing that they all do it. And we do it when we yawn. It kind of feels like a yawn. Mm. So it's it's a contraction, a slow contraction, slight, into a very slow relaxation, and then a rest. And that's how we elongate the muscles at the level of the brain. Um, there's many other neurophysiological principles we use in hanasomatics, but that's one of the big differences is, is that we work, we teach the brain because that's what controls the muscles. And that's what people are trying to do. And that's why we can um, train athletes and we can train children because we all have a brain <laughs> that, w that is used for movement. And, um, and so the difference between um, training the brain and training the muscles is so much. It stays when you train the brain 
um, those movement patterns. We're creating new neural patterns, and Hanna-Somatics education does that. So wait a minute. You are saying that we can form new connections in the brain at any time. Yes, not just when we're babies. We can do it. We can do it actually all through our whole life. And not only can, like when we work out, we're, we're familiar with building mass in our muscles. Mm-hmm. We actually build mass in our brain and See, lose it. Too. That's fascinating. Yeah. And when you say we're building that, like, are we talking about neural connections? Neural connections, yes. And so, the, and so when we train the brain, the brain learns slowly. And you'll see babies move slowly. They're building lots of neural connections. And whenever you try and learn a song, you do repetition, you go over it and over it, and you break it down into little pieces. You're not moving fast. You're not thinking fast. You can't do that yet because the place in your brain that you learn to, that you learn new neural connections um, and create them is in the motor cortex of the brain. And so, so when we do those movements, they're choppy and that we do them slowly. So you'll literally feel a staccato movement, um, like a skips in your movement. And many people think, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. That's embarrassing to even feel that I'm skipping, but it's not, it's great. We, that when you're doing that, you know, you're at, you're learning new neural pathways and when, and creating new neural pathways and the habitual movement, that's in a lower part of your brain. So everything you do that you already know how to do, that becomes habit. And we store that in a, a lower part of our brain. Mm. Now, uh, before I get into uh, the work that, that you and, and Tatiana, my wife, are doing with Kai, which I think is fascinating. You know, it's, it's, you could say it's very complex internally, like neurologically, but on the outside, it looks very simple. So I want to get into that a little bit. But what, what's amazing here is that, you know, for, for parents or anyone listening to this uh, in regards to ADHD, right, this is not something that ever was presented to us. No one ever said, oh, have, have his, uh, were his reflexes integrated or, you know, have you checked into that? No one ever has said that. And I wonder why, what do you think um, is the reason why that's not something that's sort of laid out the palette of options to do alternative therapies. It is fascinating because when you learn about the reflex of integration and when you see it, like what we've seen with your son, it's so exciting and you understand that you're, you're actually developing his brain, which develops physical, mental, and psychological development from that because it's the same brain that controls all three. So you can't affect one piece without affecting the whole. And so we're not necessarily told that um, because, well, first of all, if you... If you look at ADHD when you're when somebody's been diagnosed, what are the options? What do people what did what did people tell you? Right, medication. Well, medication. First, first right. so always, so it medicalized yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I think they go in order of effectiveness, as they call it, and we'll get into that. But medication first, and then it's occupational, some form of therapy. You know, mm-hmm. cognitive, occupational. Yeah. And so forth. And then maybe there's supplements, but that's already kind of thought of as like, well, you can try it, but it's probably not going to make a huge difference. And then there's some um, social uh, skill kind of, you know, behavioral therapy. And it's more about 
um, strategic so that they can cope with what yeah. they have. It's all, yeah. it's all inside of a coping, you know, this will be for life. So you may as well get used to having these coping skills. Yeah. So it's medicalized firstly. Yeah. And Hanasomatics education is not medicalized. It is an education for the nervous system of all of us, not just not just children, but for all of us. And so in our society, we want a quick fix, usually, and we also don't value our senses. You notice when I'm training Kai that we need to, that I ask him, what, what do you feel when you lie on the ground and the, you, and the ground is supporting your body and what do you feel? Do you feel that your heels are touching in the same place or is it slightly off? And so those little pieces of noticing and becoming aware we don't necessarily value that internal first-person awareness, which is, what is it you feel? What do you notice? What does your nervous system notice? And all those lying on the ground, when a baby lies on the ground, for example, we think they're lying on the ground, but they're picking up everything. You asked me earlier about the reflexes. When a baby is coming down the birth canal, it's working just as hard as the mom's working. It squirms down the birth canal. It turns over. It pushes off the, as, it, as it comes out. And in many countries, they take the baby out and they put the baby on the mother's belly. They don't dry the hands. They dry the baby, but not the hands because they want the amniotic smell, fluid smell. And that smell also is toward the breath, is coming from the breast. So they wait an hour to two hours to let the baby do the bower crawl up to the breast by itself, you might balance it so it doesn't fall, and latch on by itself. Wow. Yeah. We, See, none of us have been told no, that. No, and that's so fascinating because, you know, when you're, I remember when I was pregnant and we were looking at, like, okay, what is the most natural way to do it? Things like this would come up, but it was never, I never understood it exactly, like, why and what was taking place in the baby's brain and why it was so important. And now, fast forward 11 years, we're working with our son to integrate that crawl, yes. the crawl that he, it could have been integrated when he came right off the birth, right after he was born. Yes. Well, and it uh, could have been, although he or, was su the suction cup part. Yeah, could yeah. be rushed, right? Cor that correct. he was rushed through the canal. Yeah. yeah. So it was just touches so things. Yeah. fascinating that there's such, this, there's such a lack of understanding out there that the, of the importance of this. And so much is happening in our, in our child's mental development, even from the moment when he has to latch onto the nipple. And yeah. that's a reflex, as I've now learned, right? Yeah, and that's fascinating. Reflex, absolutely. That's, that's fascinating. And so when these reflexes are not, don't, when, when the baby doesn't touch the places that it needs for the sensory input, mm -hmm. then they don't have their motor output. So when, so in order for you to make a movement, you either so for example we have a feed forward feedback system so if i touch a hot stove what's going to happen you know what's going to happen i'm going to quickly take my hand off the hot stove reflexively i don't think about it it just happens and so that's my that the hot stove is my feedback system feed forward system is let's say tatiana's in the shower you're on the toilet okay and you flush the toilet all of a sudden the hot water can hit Tatiana's skin 
And Tatiana says, Roman, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So the next time she hears a toilet flush, right. what's going to happen? She's, yeah, she's ah. going yeah, she's going <laughs> to step back. Well, she'll remember that it might yeah. happen again, right? So she's not going to wait for that water yeah. to touch her skin and burn her. She's going to take a step back. You're still going to get yelled at, but she, <laughs> <laughs> but she's not going to wait. That's the feed forward system. So instead of us waiting, we learn, skip that part. And you'll see what Kai's done is he goes fast. You see children that can't pick up those, um, can't pick up, can't sense. They have to skip. And so it's, so everything they do is compensatory and then they they skip over parts of of what they need to because they can't make the connections anyway to their brain so we go back slowly and get them to sense mm. what does mm. that feel like so that they can start touching the places that give them the proper sensory input so they can have the a better sensory mm. uh, motor output it sounds to me like I'm a visual person, so imagine a birth canal is like a tunnel. Yeah. And every 10 feet, there's a sensor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the baby moving through the tunnel at every 10 feet sensor or 10 foot sensor, something activates and then you go on and it builds upon each yes. other, right? But when a child, in our case, let's just assume that's what caused it with a suction cup being pulled out of that tunnel quick so those 10 feet right sensors can't go off motor and on top of, of that, their head exactly head, yes so that's one way to look at it but there's many ways that these integrations could be held back or not triggered mm -hmm. that's obviously a good one that could be a C-section. A C-section, right? right. Mm -hmm. Or if you put them in a car seat a lot or keep them in these in the strollers or if you um, uh, there is uh, if, they, if they don't get a chance to crawl and they don't crawl long enough or you know, a lot of people, my child walked at nine months. Um, that's mm -hmm. not good. <laughs> they mm -hmm. need to crawl for at least six months, and they need to crawl properly, not dragging yeah. a leg. Well, I know say, Kai didn't crawl for. Well, say that again because I think there's a lot of uh, what I like to call it's a judgment, but it's helicopter parenting. Uh, a lot of parents who are like, "Ooh, I need my child to walk quick. I wanted to. I don't want him to be behind or her be behind, yeah. right?" And so you said uh, that's actually not good because you're rushing to some uh, walking action, but you're skipping the other uh, points of activated reflex integration. Right? Absolutely. And so we really want to give our children time to develop just what we were talking about, that bower crawl. Wait, can, can you say that again? We really need to give our children time to develop. To develop. Period. Mm. Period. And <laughs> yeah, we that need to. We, thank you. We need to. We need to give them time to listen to themselves, to mm. where, to to what they're noticing, and be. And you, when you're with little children, they get so a bird <laughs> that you'll, you'll see. And it's so exciting to see life through their eyes. And parents are already doing that. They just don't necessarily have the education that, that, that also um, lying on the ground 
is part of the child's education. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we had that, edu- I wanted that education too. That's why I know about yeah. it. Um, if we were if we were to be given that education, we of course would do what we would need to do for our children. There was a big push um, back to sleep program where we put babies on their back because we didn't want to um, have sudden death, infant death syndrome, um, and it really worked to stop. Um, sudden infant death it did help with that but we really need to allow our babies to have belly time too because on their belly they're picking up different sensory inputs on their back on their side it's actually a different part of your brain Mm -hmm. that that learns when you're on your front when you're on your back when you're on your side which is why when we go through these movements you might learn it lying down and then sit up and try and do it and it's like wait a second i i I have to think it because it didn't because it's a whole different part of your brain versus when you're standing versus with when you're on the back and they're born with with um, eyesight they're developing vision their first year by looking up and looking away while they're on their belly and looking back down far and near and it's really important for us to allow them a chance and time to develop this so much that I want to say well first of all I think those were beautiful statements and they're sort of general statements that we believe in that we need to let our children develop and we need to let them sense, you know, or interact with the world around them and not force them into positions or situations in life because we're afraid if they don't, then they're not going to quote unquote turn out, right? We can all relate to that. But what I find fascinating is that... um, you know, for example, same with eyesight and then there's others like breathing and stuff. These are also reflexes that could be not integrated and there's there's uh, corrections or, or if I may call it that, corrections, adjustments to those reflexes. Now, what can a parent do when, let's say, their son gets diagnosed with ADHD at age six or seven, right? What do you recommend uh, or when do you recommend such work to start? How does it how often, how long, uh, you know, not everybody can jump right on it and perhaps afford it, you know, mm-hmm. um, what is there to do? What can parents do? What's the first step to get sort of in touch with what you're doing? Well, um, definitely find a Hannah Somatics educator, um, to help start sensing where the body is, um, and, um, and, also, just having, taking everything slowly allows a child time to pick up that information. So that's important. Um, also, um, there, are, there are physical therapists and occupational therapists that have been trained in some of reflex integration. And hopefully, we'll learn more about that. Um, there are phenomenal osteopaths that are trained in reflex integration as well. Um, there are there are um, there are exercises that can be done um, even via Zoom. They can parents can call, and that's basically how I've been able to work with Kai. Right, is, we've been doing Tatiana's been doing Zoom calls with you, which has been great. Not just during this uh, time of the pandemic, but that would also work anytime, right? You don't have to be in the room. Absolutely, they don't have to be in the room, um, and it's fabulous if you've 
if you think that something's going on with your child, we can see it in movement. And that's our, you, we might see that also emotionally. We might see that also in troubles with writing or troubles with um, speaking, just troubles with um, parents usually know. I mean, we've talked to, you know, as parents, you, you look at your child and you say, you know, there's something going on that they're upset with the way that they don't want to wash their hair or they don't want to, they, they don't like, they won't eat certain foods. Um, they're touching, you know, everything itches or there's, yeah. there's all kinds of clues that we have. Um, and we think, well, I don't want to say something's wrong with my child and nothing is wrong with your child if that's what's going on. There's, that's where they are sensing. And so we can actually listen to that. Mm. And mm. those are some of our clues just to be able to know, oh, you know what, they don't like, they don't like noise when we eat or they don't like, when you, the parents, are, parents know because they, we love our children and that's why we're here even today. Mm-hmm. And it's, it always saddens me because I, it looks like in Western medicine or psychology, psychiatry, we take those clues and we pathologize them. Mm-hmm. We go, oh, that's a symptom, mm-hmm. not a clue, right? There's a difference. Once you say the word symptom, somebody goes like, oh, what's the diagnosis? And I feel like it makes sense, right? Kai, remember Kai was, uh, he hated buttons. You know, he, he also didn't like, his food, like certain things touching and Mm -hmm. those kind of things. And a lot of people would say, oh, that's an autistic thing or that's, you know, whatever. And now hearing you say it, it's more like, no, that's a clue that something's going on that uh, we should look into, right? Yeah, and something I've always appreciated is from your perspective on this, that it's not a pathology or it's not something that is wrong, but rather as you've called it, an education yes. of the body. Yes. And that's made such a huge difference for me as well to understand that. And as I've been wrapping my brain around this and working with you and Kai and that the body's learning something that it didn't learn then, but it can learn now. Yeah, right? it's a stage. Mm-hmm. And so if we skip the stage, we need to go back and learn what we skipped and what might look to a third party you're doing this behavior well why are you doing that behavior why is the child doing that so so we can either look at it from a third person point of view meaning i see you do this and this is and i think you should do this um and that's how medicine looks at things and actually we need medicine to look at things um from a third person point of view but we don't need to medicalize everything. And this is actually an educational process. And so first person is, what am I learning? Um, how am I changing? Actually, there's a, there's a beautiful woman, Masako, who's in Japan that's doing these movement patterns for the women in prison because they're actually trying to affect a change in their brain. Mm. So they, they think about and do process differently um and um they she translated one of thomas hannah's book um into japanese and they wanted her to give them something the japanese government didn't want to have to pay a lot 
for her to teach as much as if they could just have the exercises. And you can't really just have the exercises because it's not just movement. It's movement with awareness and being able to pick that up. And as we worked with Kai, when we saw him doing a different behavior, Mm -hmm. why was he doing, what was he aware of and what was he not aware of? So for me to say, no, don't do that, do this, that will never work. It's when he became aware. What are you doing here? Oh, can you, can you go this way a little bit? And then all of a sudden he's able to do it. His brain develops and it's quite exciting. Yeah, no, and it's been so fascinating to be in this process. And we're early in this process. We've been together doing this work for three months. But we've definitely noticed aspects in his personality that he's slowed down. He's paying, starting to pay more attention to things, awarenesses in the family, awarenesses of emotions. Gratitude, you know, there's been a lot of like like thanking us and acknowledging us, which he knows that's our love language, but still to do it takes effort and thought and being present, right? And I think also a big one is we just recently said to ourselves, and you know, we've done a lot of stuff obviously, but everything's helping and what we realized is that we've dissolved or it's dissolved, but hyperactivity is no longer an issue. And that was one of those things five years ago where it's like, well, that's a symptom. He's hyperactive. Well, and if children can't make those connections, they have to skip over that part so they can get to the other part. Right. Yeah. And so... Yeah. yeah, and that was also fascinating to me, the moment that I... I again, I've been trying to grasp my, my brain around this because it's such new language, right, of this compensatory aspect of it, that if one thing doesn't... One little switch doesn't get activated, it just skips over. And, mm-hmm. and it gets missed. So that compensatory behavior shows up, seems like, right? As, absolutely. Yeah, because if they can't... What the typical symptoms are. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, if they can't make the connection, they have to skip. And what's fascinating is um, um, it, when you, you see anybody that can't make those connections, and we all can't make some connections um, f- for some things because all of our brains are developed differently. And some of us do some things really, really great and aren't as aware on other things. And so it's when, it's when we can't, we literally can't make the connections that we need to slow down and figure out what's stopping that. And it's not, it's, it's simple, but it's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to be able to, because who would ever think when you pick your head up, your arms straight and your knees and your knees bend. (laughs) Most people wouldn't think that. But when you look at this over and over again and you continue to see that, and then when you take um, people through these movement patterns and all of a sudden they've got freedoms that they never thought that they could have and they couldn't have it with the brain developed where it was. But as they develop new neural pathways, all of a sudden they've got, within minutes, it looks like a miracle, but Mm. it's not, it's science. You know, what's interesting is there's a phrase, right, that ADHD is overdiagnosed. And we have this little cute little thing in our uh, project's pitch deck, which we write ADHD is over, and then it's somebody added the word diagnosed. And I used to always hear that as too many kids are given the diagnosis or the label. What I'm hearing now is that there's actually other things happening underneath this, this umbrella label of disorder 
One could be the not integrated, the unintegrated reflexes. The other one could be simply PTSD, some form of trauma, abuse, right? Not feeling safe, living in fear, being distracted. And then there could be other things like, uh, you know, we haven't, uh, uh, what's the word? I can't speak today. We haven't dived uh, deep enough into nutrition and food color, although that's been also debunked uh, with some studies. But there's other things that could make someone hyperactive or impulsive and so forth. But either way, what I'm hearing is that when, when, those uh, issues are addressed when those clues are followed and you reintegrate those reflexes. A child that uh, was diagnosed with ADHD suddenly might no longer be hyperactive or impulsive or uncomfortable or squirmish, right? Uh, and you've seen that. Absolutely. And you have a personal story as well. I, I do. don't know if you want to share about that, but I just fascinating to me that you you're in it. You're not just talking about it and trying it out with our son you've seen it work because parents are curious is it gonna work is my child gonna turn out and i know that when we started working together i would see changes and tiny little changes to most parents when they see it and i'd be like oh that's huge (laughs) (laughs) and and it's it's so hard to trust as parents Am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Am I on the right journey? Um, and at some point, we have to pick which journey we're going to take. Um, and you know, in, in such a short period of time, which doesn't feel short, three months, because <laughs> <laughs> it's been right. a lot, I know. Um, but in a short period of time, to get the changes that we've gotten and to see your son just beam with with pride and awareness and and connection that's what we want we want the connection with our children with each other we want them to have it with themselves and that's what this journey allows us Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot in the society that really focuses on the process of it Mm -hmm. we typically focus on the end goal i want to I, I want to have a straight I don't want to have my head forward for example so people try and pull it back and pulling it back doesn't help we actually have to educate the person that they are pulling their head forward by allowing them to pull their head forward a little bit more so that they it became, can become conscious and then they can very slowly relax their neck muscles so that they're not holding themselves in that position anymore and they turn down the resting tone of the muscles and and then they don't have so much to organize in their body and their brain which makes it a lot less stressful and allows you to focus that's one little example Mm. and you can imagine if you don't have your spinal reflex into reflexes integrated which get integrated usually within the first year to three years then your eyes and your ears don't have something to hook on to. And so now they're trying to hold themselves up looking up with their eyes. Or they're trying and so that causes all kinds of stress because if they look down, they might fall over. You know, they, they they're trying to stabilize, they're trying to organize, which is what our bodies and our brains are meant to do. We're coordin- we have coordinated movement patterns. Mm. And when they're not 
when we can't make those coordinations, when we can't be coordinated, we can't make do those the patterns that we need to be able to do because our foundation is already developed, then it causes all kinds of stress for our children. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question. This is a big question. So a lot of times uh, parents with children with ADHD um, take a position, and this is a more, I think, a more conscious, evolved position. They'll say, you know, my child is gifted. You know, some people call it indigo child or crystal children or, um, you know, and, and it, it's a neurodiversity issue. It's, my child is just different and they're gifted, right? So what would you say to someone who is not going to do anything and just say, you know what, my child is just, that's just how they are. Right. I know there's no right or wrong, but how would you speak to them if they were like, there's no problem here? Well, first, I would agree with them that their child is gifted because all of our children are amazingly gifted and they all bring us a very special bond. And and we have so much love for our children. So we're just blessed to have our children Um, and to get to know others, other children is I'm so blessed to know your child and your family. So I would agree that their child is blessed. Um, If they choose not to do anything, um, that, you know, their child will grow up. And that's the pattern and the path they took. Um, So I would say, you know, if that's what you believe and and where you want to go, that's what the parent's going to do. I might say, you know, watch your movie that's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) You might get a different perspective. You might make another connection. Mm. Um, So I I think that's about education too. And I would never want to make people, parents especially, wrong because we all try. We're all doing our best. And question, if we were to say, if every child were to have all its reflexes integrated, would there still be neurodiversity presence? Is there such a thing as the one fully integrated brain that to, to aim at versus the diversity is always going to be existent with diversity will Yeah, diversity mm-hmm. will always be different because we all have different brains and we are all developing we have reflexes that we're born with and then we have reflexes that we learn like to tie your shoe is a reflex riding a bike is is now becomes reflexive so you have your learned reflexes and your brain does pruning all the time so it's focusing on what you're doing and allowing you to do those things so each each brilliant soma is developing and contributing its in its best way that it can. A soma is a living body um, versus a corpse, which is not. And so, <laughs> so what? And our living body, that the thing that it's got that's different between a living body and a corpse is movement. And so, if we look at movement, we those give that gives us lots of cues mm. and clues of what we can do. That helps to develop and educate. So, if, so bringing it back, I would say, it's this is an education, um, and not. Um, 
I, I try not to medicalize this. Um, it's not a fixing. It's not a fixing. And as when we were training Kai earlier, you, you caught me explaining that to Kai that this is just, uh, this is just something you need to learn. This is, there's nothing wrong with you. You're mm -hmm. perfect just as you are. And this is just about learning just like you will learn how to play the drums. Mm. What comes to my mind is the term sovereignty. And we've talked about this before that I feel like what's missing, and this is my sort of assumption or uh, hypothesis is what's missing in societies that first of all, birth is a bit of an inconvenience in our schedule, mm -hmm. right? It's like, let's schedule <laughs> yeah. it. Let's get in there. Let's pop them out. Let's go. I got to go back to work, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm dramatizing it, but it really it has become a scheduled event, right? And so, so we're rushing through those, those uh, touch points and the reflexes aren't integrated and we go back to work and there's stress and da-da-da, right? And on top of that, I don't feel we're educating the parents or the children, of course, to be the sovereign uh, teacher or student to learn to listen to our own body and to learn not to rush past things, right? Because ultimately that's what life is about. We're like rushing to what? I don't know what we're rushing towards, but go, 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 go. Right? Rushing so that we can wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait. And then Linkin Park song, uh, in the end, it doesn't even matter, right? Because in the end, what have we rushed past, which is life, right? But what, I'm, what I keep hearing is this beautiful new way to teach parents and then the parents teach their children to be aware of their own body and their own movements and essentially training their own brain to do the movements that will cause the most harmony in their body and their lives. And therefore, the feedback of the world is, is positive. There's no friction. And then there's happiness right yes. there's fulfillment thriving and when that, could we say that's a barometer to say hey if your family's thriving keep doing what you're doing if there's upset or friction or frustration maybe talk to someone like you it's like maybe there's something that can be handled right absolutely because when there's friction in a family um they're trying to connect mm. they're they're upset because something is not they're they're not agreeing with something and so they don't feel connected and so really we need to connect we need to we need to connect as people and there was never a clearer time than now to know that we all miss our connections yeah. um mm -hmm. and so we need to connect and we need to help our children to learn to connect and a lot of that is via through what we pick up what we sense through our eyes, through our ears, everyone's listening to this. And so we're connecting with many people um, via their, what they're sensing, their hearing. And then, um, and then through skin, through touch, we can feel pulses in the body. We can feel waves in the body. We can feel, um, we can calm the nervous system by doing uh, circles on the body with our very light finger touch circles and figure eights when the baby's upset we can actually do figure eights very very soft like less than the about a dime pressure um, so so those connections are so important 
for us to make. And instead of rushing through that, allowing all of us that time to connect and develop, we mm. need that time. And we, our children need that time, especially because they're developing their blueprints. They are, everything they're doing is, is written on a blank slate. So they're, it's not totally blank because it, they've, we've learned through, through generations. They're brilliant. <laughs> they, yeah. they know a lot. And they're learned, what, what they're learning is all new neural connections for mm. them. Would it be fair to say, this is a totally hypothetical thing, but would it be fair to say that if a uh, pregnancy was completely stress-free, and I'm making this up because I know that trauma and stress is part of life and you know we get to undo it or work with it or dissolve it or heal it, but let's say you had a totally stress-free pregnancy, beautiful natural birth, everything was going the right way, uh, the family is totally happy, connected, and everything is going well, that perhaps we wouldn't have such what we call disorders like ADHD or ODD or uh, OCD or any of the disorders that we have medication for, right? Because they're ultimately just like a Band-Aid treating something that's out of order. Uh, would that be a fair assumption that if we can reduce stress, if we can harmonize things, we would see less of these dis uh, disruptive in most families symptoms, right? I would say absolutely we would see a lot less. And I don't want to also speak against medicine because, um, because there are times that medicine can help people. Sure, sure. Um, and, um, and so I want to make sure I don't speak, but I do think we need to come alongside and to ignore that this exists, that the, to do reflex integration, to, do, to, to become aware and to understand that that is a way that our children don't have to suffer with learning disabilities, that our children's brains can develop um, instead of just being on medication. I think that that is, it, it, gives, it gives us a chance um, to develop mm. and not to have to medicalize this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I have, I have a, um, I have a lot of uh, understanding for the position parents are being put in when they have struggles, and I don't want to say, oh, they're doing something bad and wrong. I have a lot of compassion for exactly where all of us sit. Yeah. That's beautiful, yeah. And, and certainly that's something we're realizing is that, you know, we, we, we all are at different points in our, like, life's learning curve or like our lessons and, and nobody is, you know, who are we to say, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. But I do have one should though. Awesome. And I think it's sort of like if, if there's friction in the family, if there's irritation, frustration, you know, disappointment, whatever, I see it all the time on, on uh, online support groups and, you know, parents are going through a lot of stuff. Single moms, three jobs, three kids, two of them have ADHD, right? So there's a lot of that. But I think the only should I have is that shouldn't we be interested in um, reducing that friction for the sake of everyone involved by simply 
continuing to look for other ways to reduce it, such as your work, right? Integration, uh, anasomatic, and so forth. And I'm only saying should because we've seen the results. We've seen other children uh, dissolve their symptoms without any kind of extreme measure. And so what can, you know, what can you say to parents who are concerned, like their child is not going to turn out if, if they don't take extreme measures right now at six years old? Like we were told, your child's going to be a druggie and go to jail, right, if you don't medicate him. And this is not an anti-med comment, but that was the first thing that was said. Oh, and that, and that is told. I mean, they say that like 80% of people in prison have some form of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Um, yep, and I think 61% is ADHD, and there's a lot of correlation there, supposedly. Mm -hmm. Well, the system's not working for them, so they need to figure out a way around the system. And so I think, right. I think that um, when the parents are told that they need to take extreme measures, I think they need to listen and take extreme measures. And the extreme measures are get support. Lots of people are doing, are maybe going, not during COVID time, but maybe going to the same school. So maybe you get a carpool. Figure out a way to decrease the stress with your child and yourself. Because if you bring the stress in, of course it goes on to the child. Figure out a way to get this type of education. These are extreme measures to be, to really change your mind by changing what you're reading about you might like tatiana's been re reading and reading <laughs> <laughs> and studying it's so it's been much. a journey because <laughs> all this is so new to all of us parents mm -hmm. it's not the first thing that comes up yeah so i think yeah. i think that extreme measures means to become educated um so if they want to take extreme measures i agree with that to, to really get educated and get support. We really need connection and to find a way to support ourselves as we're raising our children. Because we're, we're like first-time parents, too, going through this, and so it's, it's part of our developmental stage. So when we're told something's going on, listen. Yeah, yeah. and what's been fascinating, too, is that the work we've been doing with Kai as I've been observing him go through the process, I've realized that I myself, um, many things are not <laughs> integrated. <laughs> and a lot of the things that I grew up with of like not being able to stand up straight or my feet were always crooked in or, and it just became a label that I'm broken or I'm, I'm, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's taken years to manage the psychological impact that a label like that can have. But it's... To now understand, it's like, oh, my body just, you know, has been doing these compensatory movements this entire time was huge for me as well in my relationship to myself. So it was an education that as it's educating my son, it was equally educating us for our lives, which was so compelling that this is a work that it's not we're doing this to fix him or not at all. More like this is, has been eye-opening for all of us in a whole new level and, and perspective. Absolutely. I think that's one of 
the joys of finding out that your child has ADHD or is, has a different, is that to have to think outside the box and to realize, oh, wait a second, I struggled with that and oh, there were, there's other things. And in fact, there's other things I can do now and there's freedoms I can have right now. If you take a look at um, my teachers in Hannah Somatics, who um, Eleanor Criswell Hannell is in her 80s and um, and there is young 80s <laughs> and um, and um, there there are several other teachers that are in their 70s if you walk behind them they look like they're walking like teenagers I mean it's crazy to see the freedoms that you can maintain when you wor- do this work so that's one of the gifts of having children is that we continue to grow we continue to learn and with this type of work um it's, it's not necessarily age that causes us to be hunched over or decrepit. Um, it, it's the fact that we have lost awareness and lost the ability to sense and move our muscles. You can't, you can't move what you can't sense and you can't sense what you can't move. Mm. So it helps us. It's a great gift Kai's given you. Absolutely. And that's something we always talk about. You know, Kai, um, like so many children with um, disorders, I'm going to stay general, um, they, they show up in a family like a check engine light. And we always believe that a check engine light doesn't tell you there's something wrong with your car. We see it that way. What it's saying is like, if you continue this way, you may run the car into the ground. So I don't think you want that. Yeah. Right. So I'm letting you know there's a better way or a more harmonious way to do this thing called family or school or whatever, marriage, right? All those elements that we started looking at, we were very thankful and grateful for Kai to be that messenger who's like, hey guys, this is not harmonious enough for me to live an optimized life, which is what you want me to do, right? Mm. So could you please look at everything? Of course, he didn't say that, but to, to us, that's implied. Well, you listened. There's no other choice. I mean, the other option is what? Just to say there's something wrong with you. We're going to medicate or we're going to make you the issue and fix you, and hopefully you'll turn out, but probably not. To us, that was like, that's, that's not the option. We're going to go with the other one which is we do the work. We're responsible to optimize the environment. It's not easy. Like not everybody can jump into right away and change the, you know, the, the whole lifestyle around like we did. But I do believe there's, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, when you slow down, uh, parents might be forced to change their careers and for the better. Well, you guys are proof of that. You have done that. And then instead of then having learning disorders, you have learning differences Mm. and we know that we all have learning differences and it's uh, I always say that um, with my husband when I say uh, um, whenever we get in a fight I say whatever you're thinking whatever you're thinking I'm thinking you're wrong (laughs) 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 because we definitely have some learning differences and then we laugh and and it helps but it's (laughs) It's it's kind of cute. You both say, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then you both go, you're right. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) And then it could be over. Exactly. Well, guess what what other people are thinking you're thinking 
you can, they can't, you can't know what the other person's thinking. And one of my favorite statements of one of our experts, uh, Dr. Thomas Armstrong, is, uh, you know, he said, show me a normal brain. Where is it? Is it under a bell jar somewhere in a laboratory <laughs> and it's the one? And then that's the one we base this on? Like, show me, right? And it doesn't exist. No. But we act that way. We go, that brain isn't normal because the normal is, right? But one thing I realized was recently it's like, wait, Normal means there was a norm created. There was studies, and then they took an average, and that's the norm. So it's not really a thing. It's just a label for, like uh, in Australia, they call it the tall poppy syndrome, right? If there's a few tall poppies, you just cut them off, so they're all the same, right? And I was like, wait, so if there's no normal, then we have different, and then we can just call it over. Like, oh, we're all different. Let's all f- figure out how we can optimize our brains or our children's brains for their type or their uniqueness, and then we can just get on with it. Absolutely. And there's, there's stages of learning that we may need to go through that we might not be at. For example, with, um, with children, uh, you have your early developers and you have your late developers. So you might have a child that's five who's developed only to the level of a, the stage of a three-year-old and you have, might have a child that's five that's developed to the age of a seven-year-old mm-hmm. and we put them all in the same group yeah and so in sport what happens is that the seven-year-old if, it, if it's hockey they get more ice time because they're bigger they're going to win the game mm. better and so then they get streamlined into this where the child that maybe grew that was a earlier was a later developer doesn't get that time and so instead of dividing by ages we actually need to look at stages which would help us in this development because if we said oh look at this the child's not able to crawl in a manner that's at the stage that they need to be at Mm -hmm. we can bring them and teach them so we could look at where the child is and meet the child where the child is at and not say something's wrong with the child but just understand there's Mm. different levels and then Mm. there's different windows of opportunity at which we train our children so like zero to eight for girls and zero to nine for boys is a speed window so when we try and over coach and over parent what happens is that we get in their way of their natural development Mm. and then we have a skills window like nine to eleven for girls and um and eight to eight to ten and, and nine to eleven for boys. And so that's when we should be teaching skills. But a lot of times we overcoach and we overparent. And so we're missing all these windows of opportunity too for the children in sport and in school. Mm-hmm. And so that that whole we were treating them like they should fit into this place. And they don't. My gosh, and something I just heard newly is you just indicated there is a difference between when boys and girls, where they both mm-hmm. are ready to integrate certain reflexes or not, because I know in our school systems, they're all seen in the same group. Both genders are considered to have the same level of expectations. Mm-hmm. The reflex other. integration usually happens younger, but it doesn't always. And so, um, but boys and girls are different. And, um, and so the learned reflexes, their learned stages that they go through, um, that's, that's when we see 
um, problems when we put them too early or too late into these mm. that they don't get to develop like they need to. So into these groups, I have a question, yeah. kind of a speculation, uh, because the the religious schools used to separate the boys and the girls for religious reasons, right? Um, I wonder if that actually would be a better approach to, uh, for, you know, during certain stages, right? To have boys just be, because then they're not gonna be compared to the girl who's who's quiet and doing the homework and the boy needs to go run around. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because that's one of the symptoms is like the boys stick out because they're more hyperactive and teachers, I heard something like 75% are women. So they naturally want the boys to be like the girls in the classroom because they're easier to manage and we can get on and, you know. So yeah, it was just, I don't know, just a random thought. Like what if we during certain stages had literally boys go through a year or two of, of just the boys together and then later you can mix again or before. That Might make a difference. It may. I mean, I, I know there's some studies done on um, all girls high schools um, and um, I don't remember what they said, but I actually think that they do better in the all girls high schools. Yeah. Um, probably I wouldn't because they don't have the surprised. distraction of the yeah. boys. But. Exactly. <laughs> that could be an added bonus, right? Less stress. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't need to look good today. I don't, uh, I, but I don't know if, if that study is, I, I, I can't speak to that. I know that. So I, I was just curious because, you know, there might have been something religion was on to, but without actually being aware of it. <laughs> and that's why maybe some of the religious schools were actually praised as like these kids turned out to be, you know, there wasn't the, something to look into, but it is something to be to made. Into. Interesting. Um, I had a question in regard to genes and it being genetically passed down. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot being said about ADHD in the, in the current dominant narrative that ADHD is passed down genetically. What are your thoughts on that from the perspective of Hannah Somatics? So there's um, the phylogenetic and the ontogenetic changes that, the, that we go through. So basically there are the changes that you, um, there, there's things that we're born with, things that we know innately. So, and we have our, our bodies and our brains know so much from our ancestors as we evolve. Mm. And then there's the learned things that we've got. So it has been proven that we are different due to our ancestors, our ancestry. And um, what, we ha what we have learned just from the genes that have been passed down. So I would assume there's... There's a lot about that. And then the other thing is that there's also learned things. So you can see that um, generation after generation, we see people walk similarly to how they view their parents. You've got mirror neurons in your eyes that babies and animals can see it and copy it. And in fact, your, your mirror neurons um, fire just by seeing a movement. Um, they, they, and so you learn that movement just by seeing it, which is why you'll hear me saying to Kai, um, sometimes I'll show him something, but typically I'll ask him to listen to it and imagine it in his, in his thoughts, imagine himself doing it because, because he's actually developing when he's just imagining his brain is developing. And so, um, so babies pick that up. And they're sponges, so we do learn from our parents and our and our grandparents and great grandparents both for both reasons. And I think that's in line with what we believe with epigenetics, where the gene gets turned on or off depending on the environment. Mm -hmm. And the environment's 
influence is so strong, like the parents that you're watching, right? Or society or your, the neighborhood you live in, all these things factor into like, you know, the sort of, you could be predisposed, but you, it's never predetermined because you can retrain your brain. Yes. That's what was fascinating when you said that earlier. We can retrain our brain to make new connections at any time. Mm -hmm. Hence, we're never stuck with it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and um, we, we make those connections a lot through differentiation. How is this difference? And we, we learn that, like, you, four pictures. What's different? Which one's different? Um, which of these things is not like the other? And when we can start noticing little differences and, ah, I'm sitting in this chair, and am I sitting more to the right? Is my weight more on the right side or the left side? Huh, how am I holding myself in that position? Little things like that, nuances of picking that up. And then, of course, the archetypal movement patterns that, we, that happen when you're in the womb. Um, those are the first movements that we make in the womb. And then when we're born. So, um, so when we even visualize those movements as children, um, there's actually been studies that show when, when children see those, like in the kindergarten, that it actually helps them do better at school. So even visualizing those, it's important. Fascinating. We're, we're certainly grateful to have met you, and that's thanks to our friend William, who uh, I met through a self-development course, and I was really uh, blown away by his uh, ability to give space to his daughter, daughter where he mm -hmm. said that he, whenever she calls him, he never gives advice or tries to fix her. He just listens, and at the end, he says, if, "Would you like any advice or anything?" And if she says no, he's like, "Great, you know, it was great listening to you." And I was just like, "Wow!" And so, yeah, really grateful to have met you through William and another great um, anasomatic educator. Absolutely, yes. and I'm going to leave both uh, uh, your information as well as his and some information on anasomatic. Uh, um, Thomas Hanna and the movement and what you do in the show notes so our listeners can go and reach out to you if they'd like, uh, you know, to maybe do a, a Zoom consultation or um, certainly Tatiana and I are big fans. We highly recommend not only the work you do, but also just being able to work with you because you have such a great attitude and you're committed to, uh, in our case, Kai uh, thriving. And that's just a beautiful blessed thing so we thank you for that yeah thank you thank you melissa thanks to you we've it's allowed us to see our son more mm -hmm. and see and see him more clearly well thank you and i really appreciate the opportunity to work with you your family your beautiful son i mean it's been so beautiful to get to watch and witness his growth it just it brings tears to my eyes because he has just grown so much, and it's not been easy, um, and yet it's been so easy. Thank you, and I just got present to one thing, which is, you know, as parents of child-led schools, which is what we're doing, where, where there's no homework, there's no grades, there's no age, you know, levels, um, we often wonder, like, is he learning anything? Is he being taught res resilience? Is he, is he, is he, right? You, you kind of wonder. And I think what I just got present to is that with the work that, that you both, Tatiana and Mosi, are doing with Kai, that is what he's getting. That is that resilience and that like discovery and uh, growth. 
But on top of that, he's improving himself. He's not just learning a subject or playing a sport, right? He's actually working on himself. And he knows that he, that he is. And, and also part of this work is when you do this behavior, like when you hike your right hip up, what happens to your right shoulder? What happens to your left shoulder? So that it's cause and effect. There's so much to this work and the fact that it educates the whole person and it helps him grow emotionally, which he has, mentally, which he has, and physically. And it's so exciting to get to witness that and be part of it. It's awesome. Well, I have one more very important question, and that is, what is ADHD to you? Mm. ADHD is a label. There is so much more to our children and to ourselves. And so I see it as a label and that once we make the connections we need to make, we know so much more of the story of what's going on in our lives and our children's lives. Beautiful. Thank you for that reflection. Well, we're going to have to do a follow-up episode maybe in like, you know, mid-next year to see where we're at because I'm sure people would want to know. Again, thanks for being on the show and uh, we're really excited to uh, see where this goes and hopefully uh, this will be something great for other parents uh, with children with ADHD. We certainly definitely recommend integrating those reflexes. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa.